Hi, I'm Robert Lindstedt and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 75 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. This week I speak to Robert Linstead. Robert is an Aussie Open doubles champion as well as reaching three men's doubles and a mixed doubles final all at Wimbledon. He's probably one of the oldest guys on the tour at 43. We couldn't figure it out if he was, but we think he is. And has recently dipped his toes into tour coaching. He speaks very openly to us about his career and what he had to do to up his game as well as working on his demons along the way. Before we get started, a quick mention about our podcast sponsor, Slinger. Whether you're using it on different courts or bringing it from home to the courts in your car, Slinger is super portable with a great five-hour battery life that will run you off your feet. Check it out at slingerbag.com. Also, stay tuned till the end of this episode to find out who our next two guests are on the show. Okay, here's Robert. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on board. And tell me, you're with uh, Dennis Kudla in Florida, who's he? he's having a good run. Have you retired from the doubles game? I haven't retired completely yet, no. Uh, the plan was actually to, to retire this year in November with, uh, with Davis Cup. Uh, I felt it was a poetic end for me to, to kind of finish in the Swedish outfit in, in the highest division of Davis Cup. But then, uh, you know, uh, something else came uh, came along this year and cancelled the event. So uh, I'm going to play until the Davis Cup next year is the plan. Uh, not as uh, full of a schedule as I have been. So I'm not really focusing on my ranking at the time. I'm just going to stay in shape and be competitive enough so I can so I can help Sweden in November. Nice. So that would have been a lovely way to end. But at least, look, you get another year of competitive tennis. But you talked there about staying healthy. You're 43 years old and, you know, you're a great doubles player. And I'm sure, I know I'm in my mid, late 30s now. And, you know, every time you do some exercise, it hurts if you push yourself. How have you managed to stay healthy, like, throughout your career, the latter stage of your career? What's your secret? If it doesn't hurt, you, you're not doing it right. right? True, true. <laughs> no, um, I learned in my career, I would say I learned too late, but I learned... Uh, really what it takes and how much you have to train and and then you know you while you're out as well i think you should look at what other people are doing how much they're doing even though during competition it's not really so much hard training but you know you get an idea and then you kind of put that into your own program uh what what you, what you have to do and what you should do so uh what i have done since i really started working out hard is that I pretty much do something every day. Even on a day off, there is something. It'll be, a, you know, an hour bike or if it's just a stretching session or or something, just do something every day. Okay. And why before you didn't do as much every day, you, di you didn't train as consistently back when you were younger? No, I mean, I thought I did. I thought I trained hard as a junior. I thought I trained hard in college. I thought I trained hard during futures i thought i trained hard in challengers and then everybody every time when you made that step up you kind of realize like oh shit they're training much harder here and then you get another another level and then you get to the atp and you go like it's it's impossible it's physically impossible to train this hard but it really isn't the body is amazing and it's just a matter of you getting used to it and um i was lazy 
in the beginning, in the early days of, of my tennis career, so to speak, and uh, really wish I uh, wasn't. Uh, who knows, I might have been 250 in the world in singles if I would have been <laughs> training harder. <laughs> How high did you get up in singles? Uh, three, and, three or nine, I think, which is uh, really not good. And you just decided, you ha- had, was your doubles ranking higher at the time? No, not really. Uh, I was just always better in doubles. Uh, even in juniors, uh, back home in Sweden, we have four events, I don't know, you know, four national Grand Slams or whatever you should call them. I guess every country has these big national tournaments. And never won those in singles, won them all in doubles, I think. I mean, same thing in college, really. We, we were like one or two or three. We were in, the, in those positions in the country the whole time. And uh, it just kind of always went that way. And But, you know, everybody wants to make it in singles. So I kept trying, kept trying. And then I just made a decision that I was going to stop tanking in, in doubles to be able to reach the qualifying event of the next week. And then uh, once I made that decision, it kind of went really fast for me. Wow. And would you put any of your double skills? I know you said uh, you were like doubles from the junior days, but down to college tennis, I know you you worked with Peter Smith, uh, who most of my friends who come from college tennis all have unbelievable double skills. Well, I was always an offensive attacking player. So I was that mindset was always there. What happened in college, I would say, there was so much more focus on your net play than than what I was used to. Uh, back home, you would never have a practice just dedicated to to your net play. And when you came to college, it was we'd literally have hours of just crossing and positioning and all that stuff. So I, I learned that part uh, for sure. But uh, my double skills, then I've I've literally feel like I've developed them at every stage of my career, and I've just kind of added on to it. So it's college was for sure a, a, a really great part in my learning of doubles. Uh, but then you learn, I think you learn, if you can distance yourself from your matches, you learn the most from matches. So uh, playing a lot of matches and, and against a lot of people, I think that really developed my skills the most. And what do you mean by distance yourself? Well, because you, you don't really learn a lot from when you win. It's kind of when you lose or when you really struggle in a match and you actually win. But... It's when you lose where you where you have to really see what didn't work and what worked and and it's it's easier to dissect a loss I feel than a win uh, and that's when I mean you have to distance yourself. Uh, obviously, it hurts to lose, but you have to be able to look back at what you did in um, in a distant way, so to speak. Like so, you're not really emotionally invested in the loss when you're looking at what what really worked and what didn't work. Because emotional decisions are are a, are a cancer for athletes, I would say. True, true. You, did you find yourself going off on mad tangents or benders after losses, or you're a bit more controlled? No, I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't go out, uh, find a bar and get smashed. Like that wasn't that wasn't really me. I would. I I still have struggles sleeping after I lose because I dissect everything so much and thinking, oh, I should have gone there, should I stay there? And that was kind of funny now. And I've started coaching a bit, and I'm helping Dennis Kudla. So sadly, he he lost yesterday, and then and then I find myself at night just like thinking about his match, what what I could have said differently, and and maybe I could if I would have said that he wouldn't have hit this shot at this moment. So it's uh, <laughs> I I don't think I can escape this. I'm gonna have a few sleepless nights in the future of my life as well. 
Dennis is going to put you under pressure. But look, that's as you say, that's part of learning, being able to dissect it. But we did have a question from Peter Smith, who was your coach at Pepperdine. And for those that know that don't know, Peter was successful college tennis coach. But he wanted to know what were the key factors from you, he said, from going from an above average talented junior who went to college to being a Grand Slam champion. For you, what were the major milestones? Oh, wow, that's... I was expecting a much worse question. Thank you, Peter. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's a second one. Don't oh, worry. I was going to say this. There has to be more. This, this, this got to be a. There's got to be a knife in there somewhere. What I found was, like I talked about, I always dissected my game a lot, and and, and a lot of times not giving myself credit for how good I am, uh, so to speak. I haven't believed in myself enough. I mean, that has to do with uh, where you come from and your upbringing, obviously. Um, I had, uh, I have an uh, older brother, younger sister. They were both number one in Sweden and I wasn't really anything in junior. So things like this kind of stick with you. But what I really learned was that really helped was that I really became one of the hardest working doubles guys on tour. Uh, I feel I can really say that because it is true and uh i was playing with Jarko Niemenen uh for a couple of years and we he had a fitness and physio guy that was amazingly nice and he invited me to Helsinki because I was, I was a little bit overweight as well once i got into doubles and uh, so i went to Helsinki for two months november december and i literally trained uh six to ten hours a day and uh i really made a decision like okay i have to make this because i felt like these guys that are Ranked ahead of me. Uh, I feel like I hit the ball better than them, but why am I not winning? There's got to be something there. And then I, I just went into this training regime and, and I stuck with it the whole time. I uh, really got interested in, in what I need to do and what helps, what kind of stretching, what kind of strengthening helps. And from that point on, it was just, I kind of started climbing in the rankings and I set goals for myself to take 10 spots at a time. And in the beginning, like if you just stare at the points uh, in the ranking, it's it, it's impossible. You're like, how am I going to make 800 points? It's impossible. I, I win this tournament, I get I get 80. So you can't stare at that. So I was just taking 10 spots at a time and I was just playing the match that I had in front of me. And uh, it surprisingly enough, uh, hard training pays off. Uh, and for me, with a hard training, that was also the best mental training for me when I felt that I was the most prepared and I had over, over I had trained more than my opponent, um, or at least I told myself that I did, and I believed that I did. So that really, uh, that really made me uh, a better player. And and when you have the bigger match, then it's just easier. When you feel that you're prepared, it's 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 just easier to play well you have that confidence but obviously you were doing the right thing as well we can all train really hard and push ourselves to the max but you got to be doing the right thing for your game or for your body so oh yeah no no it's 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 very easy to train hard you know like it, it's very easy to get sore but you're not supposed to get sore you know it's <laughs> it's very very easy to train hard but you have to you have to you have to train the right way, and that's that's where it helped. Uh, Jarmo Ahonen, who was uh, the fitness guy, who is the fitness guy, he he helped me a lot. I learned a lot of knowledge there. Then later in my career, I I, I hired Ali Gelem, who who was Robin Söderling's uh, fitness guy as well, and he helped me so much, and he is helping me so much, and he's really a part of the reason why I can physically compete at my age with these young puppies on tour. So I I, I did I did I did hire the right people as well. So you have to, you have to invest in yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to reach your potential or the goals that you've set. 
Yes, no, completely agree with you. And obviously surround yourself by good people. And if you see they work well for other people, chances are they're going to work well for you. Yeah. That's What about nutrition? Did that change throughout the course of your career? No, I mean, it did. When I when I started out, I could drink like three, four Cokes a day. I was like, ah, oh, I'm an athlete. I'll burn it off, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, obviously, I, <laughs> you, you don't always. And it's it's a lot of, it was a lot of pasta in the beginning and, and all that stuff. So, that too, I've uh, I've adapted throughout my career, and I'm and I've never been stricter than I am now. Basically, uh, now at the end, I've I've tried everything to kind of squeeze out an, a few more months of uh, professional tennis in me. So I've done all these tests, and so at the moment, I am uh, I'm gluten and dairy free, which I basically always say I'm I'm literally just taste free when it comes to eating. It's uh, God, yeah, uh, that, that's yeah, tough. it's 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 not fun, but it has helped a bit. Uh, I feel like uh, some inflammation in my body has gone down, and uh, and uh, yeah, you <laughs> you learn a lot about yourself and what's what's out there. But I've also realized that the more I learn, the less I know. The more, yeah, and the harder it gets. Is it hard now? So you're at the challenge there in Florida to get the food that you want to eat healthy. Because I'm sure when we're tired and you're traveling a bit, it's it's really hard to make the wrong decision. Yeah, I mean, when you're home, it's it's totally fine. It's very easy, and you can eat really you can eat really well, and it, and it tastes great. Luckily, my wife is an amazing cook, and she's she's really invested in my tennis, and she wants me to do. She does everything for me that to to help me. She's amazing. I have realized when traveling, I have really tried to stick to my diet and it, it can, you kind of just end up eating bars anyway, like energy bars and stuff. And that, that's not really good for you either. So I've, when it comes to that, I've just said like when traveling, I just have to bite the bullet and, and just make sure I have food in me. And uh, yeah, it's tough, but, but, but yeah, it's a challenge. But when you're traveling, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. Like with airplane food, yeah, you can pre-order, but it's still not going to be everything you need or, or, or that you're not supposed to eat. So it's, you just have to, 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 to make do with what you can then. It's, it's not the Grand Slam buffet selection no, that you get that no. you can have your choice of yeah, everything. Exactly, exactly. Your wife traveled with you. Yeah, uh, she's traveled with me pretty much since we started uh, dating. Uh, it was, uh, she's really been amazing for us and uh, it was, uh, not a demand, but it was an ask I had that, uh, if, cause she's American, I'm Swedish. So when, um, when we started dating, I said like for this to work, I feel like you have to travel with me. She kind of, you know, put her own life on, on hold a little bit and, and, and was amazing enough to, to actually go on the road with me. And, uh, it's been, uh, it's been amazing ever since. And tell me, so you're going to be you're going to be traveling the road as a coach and as a player next year. Will she be coming on your coaching role? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she'll be <laughs> she'll be uh, assistant coach. Oh, yeah, no, with, no, no. She will. She she's gonna come with me when she can and she wants to. Because uh, uh, I still feel it it tends to help your relationship if you're in the same place. Oh, totally. Like it's tough. You do it when you're yeah. young. You keep some long distance love alive, but as you get older, you definitely need to be close. It's great that you can travel with her. That's that's amazing. No, isn't it? I mean, and 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 I kind of like her company, so that's that's a good thing too. <laughs> well, that that helps either way. Uh, but uh, yeah, so let's jump quickly to the Aussie Open 2014. Yeah. What was it like to to win a Grand Slam? Relief. It was just relief. The immediate moment was just euphoria, obviously. It's just, you know, um, you own the world, literally, and you feel like everybody's looking up to you. Uh, 
which is not true, but that's the feeling you have. But then, you know, in the days after, in the coming months after, it was it was just relief. I even struggled a lot for months and months to even be a decent competitive player. I didn't. Um, the engine wouldn't start for me, and I was for for many months. I was a very good draw. Oh God, you're like, let's get Robert first round. Yeah, everybody was like, oh, he can't play anymore. Great, let's get him. Free, free points, free points and money. <laughs> Did you really care? Uh, yeah, I mean, I hate to lose. So it was really tough. Uh, but I also knew that something was going on with me that I couldn't really control. I didn't have the tools to deal with. Uh, I mean, not many guys win their first Grand Slam when they're 36. I think I was 36. Um, so it's a long time to wait and, and with the finals that I had and stuff. Uh, so it was, it was really tough. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very strict about my match days and everything. I make sure I have everything in my headband needs to be there, whatever. And, and, and all these stuff, my drinks. And then, um, we played Rotterdam, uh, that's the first tournament after, uh, after Australia. And I get to the match. I don't even have my headband with me in the bag and, and I was like, oh, okay. So after that match, I just realized, okay, whew, something's happening. I, I was training, I was training hard still, but then during the matches, I wasn't really nervous before. I was, I was sleeping quite okay, which, which is, which is not good. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so it was just, it was just, it was just very weird. I, I did not find my game for for months and months. It was really, really tough. I would, I would say, like at the French. I was starting to become a decent partner again. Okay, you're like, you're probably losing your partner as well after this. You think, who everybody wants to play with me now. At Functional Tennis, we are all about helping your tennis game get 1% better every day. That's why our match and practice journals are a great tool to have in your gear bag. The Functional Tennis match and practice journals help you plan and evaluate your matches and practice sessions. It includes goal setting, quotes, pressure tests and more. It's used by players of all ages and levels and it's a great way to get away from your phone and focus in on your game. To learn more, visit functionaltennis.com. But for those that don't know, you had three Wimbledon finals before that win. Yeah, and I had a mixed final, and I had a mixed final last year. <laughs> oh, and a mix, yeah. and a mixed final just last year. Yeah. Okay, but you had three finals coming into your fourth. You're like, it must get harder and harder. You're like, when am I going to win one? You know, you're putting yourself in the position. So I can see where the relief, the euphoric came, and then the yes, I've done it, and the body gone off the boil, the mind gone off the boil. It even went to the point, uh, I'm going to be honest here, uh, and I don't want to insult anybody here with what I'm going to say. I hope uh, Raven and Eric can handle this. But I remember going into the semi-final. Um, I think me and Lewis, we played Ramahu. And uh, I think Klaassen and Budarak had beaten Bob and Mike. And I remember going into the match that, oh, I wish Bob and Mike would have win, would have won because then if we win the semis, there'll be less pressure for me in the final. And it'll be more accepting to lose against Bob and Mike than to lose to Eric and Raven because they didn't really want four losses. And then, yeah, so that's, that's, even, how, that's even how my mind worked at that time. And then... Um, then finally, uh, I kind of understood during during my finals in Wimbledon, all these legends had come up. Obviously, the Swedish guys, Jonas, who was with me in Australia, and and 
and you know Elting Harris and all these guys they always and Todd Woodbridge I think they always kept saying like enjoy the final enjoy the match and I was always so focused about playing well I had to play well which is the wrong mindset when you feel like you have to play well it never happens and then I remember actually kind of getting what they said okay maybe I'm just going to enjoy playing tennis and I remember sitting in a changeover on labor mid-match and I was thinking this is pretty cool actually night match uh, Rod Laver in Melbourne, I have my friends in the box, Bjorkman's in the box, Enquist was in the box. So it was just like, this is, this is the stuff that I've dreamed of. And we played, we played a perfect match. So it was, uh, it was quite amazing. It was quite amazing. Well, what, what a feeling. You could probably, you know, I'd, I'd say all your dreams just came true there and you're like, okay. And did you find your tennis got better after that win for the next few years? After you got back to normal after the French. I don't know if it got better, uh, to be honest. Um, My results after that haven't really matched my expectation. I don't know if it was the beginning of the end or anything like that, but uh, I can't say that I I got much better. I mean, smarter, yes, but that has a thing to do with age. The more you compete... There's a thing also where like um, there's a balance there because as you get older, things get tougher. So you have to see, okay, is it my age that's holding me back or is it that I'm playing worse? Am I a better player? But my age is kind of not letting me. And then also the older you get, it's almost like it's easier to get a bit nervous uh, because like the older you get, the more tennis you've played and therefore you know more of what can actually go wrong. So in, instead of having the, the ignorance of youth of just, I'm just going to hit the ball there and that's it. It's not going to come back. You, there are thoughts. And I've had this discussion with other former players. Like there's thoughts like, oh, yeah, but if I go there, he might do this or he'll go there. And you have this equation in your mind because you've seen all these scenarios throughout your career. And, and it kind of takes the focus off your own tennis and your own shots, which is stupid. But um, I think it's kind of human behavior. I, I totally know where you come from. My wife's a doctor and I read some of her books and some novels about medicine and that. And they're always bad stories. And all of a sudden you think like, you know, the more you read, the more you learn, but the more you think this can go wrong. But another thing about aging, which I want to ask you, do you feel like, you know, that this could be my last French Open? Like, let's think Federer now. He wants to add to his Grand Slam records, but every time he plays, it could be his last one. He could get injured and he could be finished. So how much pressure... Does that add? I've gone through that as well. I, I think Australia this year was that for me. Uh, oh, this is the last one. I really want to do well. And uh, it really, I'm going to have to say it again, like it, it really is a cancer for your tennis uh, because it, it makes you focus on how well you you want to play. And that is something you're never in control of. Really, you you can't set the standard of where your tennis is going to be that day. You know, it's it's kind of it's it's all in the preparation you make, and then then you see what end product comes on on the match day. Uh, so that thought has occurred to me, and every time it does occur to me, I'm out. But I've heard that from before. I remember I played with Marty Dam um, for a year, and then the next year after that, he he was telling me all this that you have this feeling that this might be the last one, and you get nervous. And uh, so I've tried to kind of have that information coming into my own, you know, middle age. Uh, but it's, um, once it sneaks in, it's, it's tough to get out. You think it's really hard. You just can't, that's what I was going to ask. How can you wash it out? It's really hard. 
I mean, for me, it it also comes with preparation, I have to say. The more I've actually trained and made sure that I'm hitting the ball well in practice, my body's feeling good and I'm moving well, then, then I feel those factors kind of take over uh, and it doesn't really pop into my mind anymore. So um, I've literally just tried to be even more prepared than, than, I, than I usually am. So the more the right stuff you do, the over, like over prepare, the less chance of the, those yeah. cancers coming into your head. But who's, who's, who's been your most fun doubles guy to play with? Uh, I mean, most successful was obviously um, my partnership with Horia Takao. Uh, we, we, we did have a lot of fun uh, with each other. Uh, obviously, as, a, as any partnership, you know, you have your ups and downs. But uh, that, was, uh, that was a lot of fun for sure. Uh, I played with Jonas once uh, when he when we decided he should make the comeback to Stockholm Open and we played together for that one that was amazing that was a lot of fun reaching the finals when he had been retired for I don't know how many years um, and we, we were playing in front of full crowds in Stockholm Open that was that was that was absolutely amazing I, I used to love Jonas he was he had a decent doubles record didn't he decent doubles record yes you can that's 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 very rude of you to say but yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, yeah, I can't remember the the memory's a bit fried, but I remember him he picked up some good. I don't I couldn't tell you many slams he won. No, he won uh uh he won all slams and all masters. I think wow. so it's so it's a decent so it's a decent record, yeah. Number one in the world too. And you're friends with all Bjorkman, Enquist, Sutherland at the moment. What did it Oh got? yeah, yeah, yeah. What, Thomas Johansson and Thomas Johansson. I remember I used to love Thomas Enquist when I was young, and I think that's where yeah. my affiliation with ASIC started. And uh, funny enough, we're doing something with ASICS at the moment, and they they're digging deep into me. Where did you first hear about ASICS? And it comes back to Enquist. What's Thomas Enquist up to these days? Well, he's he's playing. Well, not this year, obviously, but he's been playing some uh, legends events. Um, he uh, he is now a tournament director for Stockholm Open. They switched um, they, they 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 switched owners this year, and he was supposed to be the first year for him. But obviously that that event got cancelled as well. So that's what he does. He he spends his time uh, in uh, Aix en Provence in France and uh, and uh, Stockholm. Nice and Stockholm or Bast? Is that how you say it? Uh, Bostad. Bostad. Which one do you prefer? Well, I grew up in Bostad, oh, nice. uh, to be honest. Um, so we moved from Stockholm when I was three or four down to the south of Sweden. And then we moved to Stockholm. Uh, I'm sorry, we moved to Bostad when I was uh, when I was ten, I think. And uh, I lived there ever since. Uh, since uh, then, from there, I then moved to London, then back to Stockholm. So I, I really grew up. So that tournament has always had an amazing place in my heart it's uh, Bostad is a very very small coastal city that comes to life during the summer and uh, this event is the pinnacle of that so the whole the whole town lives for these couple of weeks uh when it really happens so for the tournament I was a ball boy for the tournament we have Davis Cup being played there I was a mascot so on that center court I've I've um I've done you know pretty much any everything and it took me so so long I think because of how much it meant to me to actually play well at home. 
Nice. That's very that's very special. I remember a friend of mine, James Klusky, played a bit of doubles. I'm not sure if you know him or remember yeah, yeah, yeah. him. But I remember him texting me one night, Fab, you got to get on a flight over here right away. Just the best <laughs> tournament ever. Like He's talking about what, the white party and just the setup and yeah, yeah, yeah. the women and everything. It's like, you got to get over here. And I was like, I just can't go. But uh, And then I don't think he played the year after. So... Sometimes you just got to take those opportunities and go. Yeah, it's like uh, the tournament. The the tournament made a T-shirt once, uh, and it said, uh, "Boss said everything you've heard is true." <laughs> I love it. Well, it is, from what I've heard, it's true. So yeah, look, is there? Do you have any a big regret throughout your whole career? Anything that stands out that you'd love to change? One thing. I wish I would have started training uh, harder much earlier. I wish I would have had the. I wish I would have been humble enough to understand how much effort it really goes into it, how much I should have done. I I honestly do think I would have had a crack at the top 100 if I really would have known. I was very I wasn't even close to being trained enough as uh as I should have been uh to to even try in singles. There's a tough balance there too like I didn't we didn't have any money at all. I've 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 uh, done everything on my own, so to speak, I've done the league tennis thing just to finance myself. Uh, I, I, I've never gotten anything from the federation, so it's uh, it's a very expensive sport, tennis, and and uh, it isn't really always a matter of the best one coming through. It's um, it's 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 a very very difficult path in the beginning, but I I, I really do wish, even as a junior, I would have I would have. Uh, spent uh, you know spend more time training i remember when i was young i was i was always saying ah, weekends are you you don't work on the weekends my dad doesn't well, my mom doesn't work on the weekends so i don't play tennis on the weekends which is just stupid <laughs> uh, and meanwhile the, the other guys are killing themselves and they're working even harder the weekends yeah exactly look exactly you didn't do too bad let's be honest no 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 it's <laughs> i've done much better than i thought um, I never thought I would win a Grand Slam, and first Wimbledon final was a, was a massive surprise. Uh, but um, yeah, it's 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 funny how things turn out. But um, but I am a firm believer is in if you really invest in yourself and you dedicate that investment to to really being your life, then then good things will happen. Nice, yeah, I I, I think you've done well there, and I've got to get back to Peter Smith here. His question, he says, you've mostly dismissed college tennis. Is that true? I have mostly dismissed college tennis. What, is, what, is, what does that mean? Maybe you're not an advocate of college tennis. No, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. Yeah, no, 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 no. I think college tennis is a, is an amazing way, uh, path to become a professional tennis player, uh, especially nowadays where, where tennis is so physical and you can only do so much every year to get your, your body as strong as it needs to be. So going to college is, um, is, is a great way to get matches, to get training and to use that as a pathway into your professional career. And what I have said is that I, I'm not... I'm not a firm believer of of uh, staying all years. I mean, I left after a year and a half. Uh, just because you go to college doesn't mean you have to stay four years to do it. If you feel you're ready after two years to leave and try it, then go. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I believe or I hope um, the fitness knowledge and everything now in college is much better when when I when I was there. I did feel like the fitness 
level and training when I came to college was a step back from what I was doing in in Sweden. But uh, I think college is a great pathway to to make it as a professional athlete. Just because you go to college does not mean that you cannot make it. True. No, there's there's plenty of guys making it now. Even so many, especially the dub side, there's there's so many, uh, which is great to see and at least gives people an opportunity to get a, a college career, to get a degree and I'd give them something to fall back on because let's be honest, not everybody makes it as a as a top doubles player, a top 100 player. It's, it's really tough. No, absolutely, absolutely not. And I've, I've always said when... You know, when you have parents asking me what the kid needs to do, I always kind of want to tell them is like, you do realize you, you, you're pushing your child to go into a sport where about 400 people in the world actually make money. I, I think you're being very optimistic there, 400 people. No, but I'm uh, like 400 people in the world is professionally making money. If you take out coaches, just players, men and women, 400 people, no more, are actually putting money in the bank in the world, in the sport of tennis. Yeah, it, it's tough. It, it's a tough decision. That's why the degree can... And see so many tennis players, they do finance and then they end up being successful at finance. And so, yeah, just give yourself a few options. Unless you're Rafa Nadal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, you, when, when you come out of the womb and you rank 270 in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But the, amount of, the story I heard today was somebody had to play a, a a fun exhibition match in Spain. It was Tim Henman, I think, had to play an exhibition and match and Correcha couldn't show up so they got some 13-year-old in or 14-year-old in and Henman, I think it was Henman, uh, better not be quoted on this, but he was like, he's like, I'll take it easy on this kid. Uh, I'll just, yeah, I'll give him a few games, comes out and gets beaten two in love. Oh, well. <laughs> it's just, it was just, the guy is just a different machine. Oh, that must feel horrible for Tim if it was Tim. I'd say it still feels horrible. Just quickly jumping in here, my sources for that story were wrong. Let me tell you what I could find on the web. So in May 2001, Pat Cash and Boris Becker were set to play an exhibition match in Mallorca. Due to an injury, Becker had to pull out. So they suggested Cash play against the island's most promising youngster, who was Rafael Nadal. Cash agreed to play the 14-year-old. Fast forward two sets and a tiebreak later, the Grand Slam champ had just lost to Nadal. And this credible source was Roland Garros, so I hope the story's true now. Do you have a WhatsApp group with like Karlovich, Federer, Lorenzi, your own age group? Is there like a special tips and tricks to stay on the tour WhatsApp group? <laughs> no, uh, I, I wish there was. I wish there was. I, I'd like to be on the Federer program any day. I love it. Yeah, maybe one day he'll share it after he's retired and after Novak and Rafa's retired, then he'll share it. Yeah. But Robert, thank you very much for jumping on. Uh, I hope you get it. You're doing a bit of preseason now. I hope you get a bit of off time and enjoy some time with your wife and your family and get ready for the uncertainty of 21. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's the problem. It's it, it's tough to work hard when you don't really know what goals your setting. So I'm hoping they can come up with some sort of schedule for, for us guys because then it is it is much easier to push yourself. True, true. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, thanks. That was very insightful into the mind of a top tennis player. We all have our demons and tennis players are no different. I'll be back this weekend with a bonus episode. I'm stepping outside the tennis world 
and my comfort zone and we'll take a look into the world of skiing. I speak to two Canadian Olympic skiers and find out about their journey to the top of the slopes and the similarities skiing has with tennis. Then I'll be back next week speaking to world-renowned tennis performance and fitness expert Mark Kovacs. Mark has worked with many great tennis players. He's well-respected and has also written two of the best tennis books available, Complete Condition for Tennis and Tennis Anatomy. Can't wait to speak to him. Until then, have a great week. Bye.